I'm looking forward to sharing the message I have for you today. It's Seeking God, part two in this series on what does it mean to follow Jesus. Uh, so it's the second in the uh, uh, series that we're looking at. You know, many people have confused uh, uh, seeking God with serving themselves. Seeking God with serving themselves. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. The wife of a prominent national television pastor um, made the following on-air statement during a message to uh, this congregation airing nationally. And this is what she said, and I quote, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but we're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. Do you get that? That's what gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, she adds, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. In other words, she was saying this, God has created you for you. And God exists to make your life happy. Now, tragically, her statement, I'm afraid, reflects the mindset of far too many today in our world and even in the church on occasion. And the problem with that statement is, listen, it's heresy. That's just heresy. Now, I don't say that lightly. And I don't say that to take a cheap shot at her, but friends, we have to understand why we are created, and we are not created for us, we are created for God. You weren't created for your pleasure. Now, I'm not against pleasure, and I'm not against happiness. In fact, if I had to take a vote, I would vote for both of those, okay? <laughs> But I'm not created for those things. I'm created for God. And the fact is, the message of happiness, you are created to be happy. So when you worship God, you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for you. You just can't find that message anywhere in the Scripture. In fact, in the Scripture, you find just the opposite. You find passages like Revelation 4.11 that says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Listen, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. That's the message of the Scripture. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him fulfill himself and take up his cross and follow me. Is that what it says, class? It says, y'all better say no, that's not what it says. <laughs> it says what? It says let him deny himself. You're not created for yourself. Now, look, I'm not talking about joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We ought to be filled with joy. But there is a, a vast difference between being filled with joy in life and, and trying to find happiness all the time. Our world uh, is what you might, you might say full of happiness junkies, always looking for happiness, always looking for happiness. But Jesus came to bring fulfillment into our life through our understanding and walk with God. That's where it comes from. So the passage this morning that I want us to look at 
is helpful in, in helping us to understand that we're not here to seek us, we're here to seek God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, thank you for um, the reliability of your word. Uh, to keep us, Father, from chasing ideas that the world promotes and that our flesh desires, thank you for giving us a standard of truth that we can measure our lives by and understand what your plans are and your desires and your will for us. We pray, God, that this morning you will speak to us now from your word. We're listening. Father, we're listening. So speak to us through your word with your Holy Spirit And now may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my God, my rock and redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Now this is one of the great New Testament passages, and it's about believers seeking to have a deeper and more committed walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is is making this statement in this passage because he's really refuting some false teaching of heresy that had infiltrated the church uh, in chapter 2 and 20, verse 20 and following. You, you see him dealing specifically with that. It had come into the church. It was false, and it was confusing these, these believers on what it meant to really uh, worship and seek God. In fact, they were promoting, these heretics were promoting the false ideas uh, that that uh, people of God should worship angels and, and certain cultic rituals. And Paul's message is that if a person has truly been converted, that they should be enjoying the resurrected life of Christ, and that Christ not only is the author of their new life, but he is the constant source of their life. And so in the passage, Paul gives us more than just a theoretical kind of theological education. In other words, here's, what you, here's the way you ought to think, here's the way you ought to operate. He gives us that, but it's more than theory. He's not just saying, here's a, a theoretical theology. What he does is he takes it a step further and he gives us practical instructions that should characterize the life of every committed believer. And so with that as background and context, I want to show you three things this morning that I believe will help you in your continued journey of seeking Christ and your journey to live what you might call the vertical life or the upward life. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul speaks of the direction of your heart in verse 1 there. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now the word seek is is a command. It is in the present imperative, we say in the Greek language. And here's what that means. So when he says, if you have been uh, uh, raised, seek the things above, it means to seek them and to keep on seeking them. It's present, active, tense, what we say. So it's a command. He's not saying, here's a good idea. He's saying, I command you to seek God, but seeking God is not an event. It is a continued ongoing process of life. 
It's to be a lifestyle for the Christian. It doesn't just, well, I I sought God, I found God, I became a a follower of God, and therefore I don't have to do that. What's next? No, the idea here is that this is not an event. This is an ongoing process. It is a lifestyle uh, for the Christian. You know, sometimes we don't feel like seeking God. I mean, if we're honest, right? Sometimes we don't feel like seeking God. We, We may say, I know that I should seek God, but we may not always feel like seeking God. Why is that? Well, because seeking God sometimes goes beyond just the way we feel. Sometimes seeking God is about being disciplined, right? Living a disciplined life of faith. And that's what Paul is driving at is that you've got to go beyond just how you feel because some days you really feel like seeking God and some days you may say, man, I just don't, I have no Uh, feeling toward God. Now, here's the thing. Don't quit. That's what Paul would say to you. It's what the scripture would teach you. Don't quit, but keep seeking because sometimes seeking is is a discipline, not just a desire. And see, you're going to live a life that's either vertical, upward, or horizontal, that's outward. But God has designed you for the vertical or the outward life or the upward life. You say, well, what is the difference? Well, if you live a horizontal life or if your life is outwardly focused, it is, it is a life that's lived for pleasure of self. And the best that it can ever hope for is the best that this world can give you. But those things don't last. And that's why people who often are characterized by a horizontal life or an outward life are constantly looking for the next thing to bring happiness or fulfillment because their life is dictated by everything that's outward in front of them by the experiences they can have or the lack thereof or the circumstances that they face. So if their circumstances are good, they have a good life. If their circumstances are bad, life is tough. That's the, that's the horizontal life. That is the outward life. But then there's the upward life, and it's so different. It's the Christian life that is focused on knowing God. Its focus is on pleasing God and fulfilling the purpose of God. It's life at the very highest and most powerful level. It is life that finds peace even in the midst of difficult circumstances. It finds peace even when there is no happiness. It finds joy when there's no feelings of euphoria because it's supernatural. It's the vertical life. It's the upward life. And it's so different. And that's the life that that is the result of seeking God. It's the life that's characterized by the the truths of God, sought and applied. Listen carefully. It is normal to seek God intensely. That is normal, to seek God with all your heart. He says, if you have been raised, and by the way, here's how we might say that today. If you have been raised, and you have in Christ because he's writing to believers, he's writing to the church at Colossae. He says, if you have been raised, and you have, then it's normal for you to be seekers of God. That's the normal Christian life. The fact is, if you're not seeking God, you're actually living the abnormal Christian life. But we've kind of got that backwards, haven't we? Today, most Christians have come to believe that the abnormal Christian life is the normal Christian life. And they have confused nominal 
Christianity, get by kind of Christianity, nominal Christianity with normal Christianity. Folks, what Paul is telling us here is that, that, that God has designed us to seek him. And that's the, uh, that's the vertical life. And, but so often we substitute the, the outward life, the horizontal uh, kind of living. And that's the reason so many people have so little power in prayer. It's the reason they have so little power over temptation. And it's reason that they often sense no power when they face the, the difficulties and the details of life. You see, the powerlessness that is in many of the followers of Christ is not because Christ has no power for them. It is because instead of looking upward at him and looking upward to him, we are looking outward and we're looking outward for ourselves. And so many believers have uh, they, they've confused. Uh, they've confused consumer kind of thinking with the Christian thing, and so their relationship with Christ has been reduced from uh, from how can I know Him to what's in it for me. It's that kind of faith for many. Back some years ago, in the Third Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization, there were over 2,200 what are considered the world's great Christian leaders. And they were asked uh, in a survey, they were asked what they saw as a major threat to Christianity and the church. And there were two that rose above all others. Number one, they said the great risk to Christianity and the church worldwide, 71% said, is the influence of secularism. That is, Christians becoming more like the world rather than like Christ. 71 of these top Christian leaders around the globe. The second they said was the development of a consumeristic mindset. In other words, what's in it for me instead of what does my faith call me for, uh, to? said, so these are the two great things that are facing the church and will affect the church. Listen, we're commanded to seek God first. And for the follower of Christ, anything less than seeking him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength is abnormal. It is normal. Look, if you walk out of here with nothing less, walk out with this today, that the normal Christian life is the life that is seeking God with all its heart and soul and mind and strength. That's normal. Anything less than that in the Christian life is the abnormal Christian life. Y'all got that? All right, number two, Paul speaks secondly of the devotion of your mind. Verse number two says, set your mind on things above. This is also a command. This is also in the imperative. This is also in the present active tense. So this also means not just set your mind and leave it be. It means set your mind and keep on setting your mind. Keep on renewing your mind. Keep on fixing your mind. Keep on setting your mind on the things above. It's not an event. It's a process. And and here's why. Listen, the direction of your heart will determine what gets your energy. Would you agree with that? The direction of your heart will determine what gets your energy. But now listen, the devotion of your mind will determine what shapes your convictions. 
The direction of your heart will determine what gets your energy, but the devotion of your mind will determine what shapes your convictions and your belief. Have you ever heard someone say, uh, say that, well, we must be careful not to become so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good? How many of you have heard that line used before? We have to be careful about that. Well, the word set means to have devoted your mind purposefully and specifically to the things that are above, to, to the things of heaven. And this passage is actually telling us that we are to be extremely heavenly-minded, not so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Look, have you, have you met somebody like that? I haven't. I, I keep waiting to meet somebody, Tim, that's so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And then I wonder if God would be upset with that. I think God would probably say, yeah, that's kind of what I've been trying to get you to leave the world behind and get your mind on heaven. Well, so th this, that's exactly what Paul's saying, that we are not, here's, let's, let's rephrase it. What Paul is saying is that we are not to be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good, Right? The idea here is that Jesus is to captivate my mind. He's to, to dominate my thoughts, and he is to be the filter and the focus of my mind. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ or to obey Christ. Do you get that? He said, what we're doing is we've learned to let Christ filter the stuff that comes into our minds. Now, if you do that, you're going to have to quit watching a whole bunch of what you're watching. If you take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, you're going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do away with a lot of uh, arguments. And boy, there are a lot of them, right? Everybody's got an opinion. We're in the age, internet has made it, social media has made it so... Uh, talk, uh, 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 talking heads on, on television have made so that there's always an opinion and you can just about find whatever opinion you want. You know what Paul is saying? We've learned to take all the speculation, all the cultural arguments, all of those things, and we run them through the filter of the truth of Christ as he guards our minds. <clears throat> We have a, a special guest in town, Alice and I do, and uh, she and uh, a friend of hers who drove up from uh, Clearwater uh, yesterday, we, we took them out to dinner, and she said somewhere, they'll be in our second service. By the way, you've heard me tell her story before. Her name's Karen, and uh, I've told her story about how she came to Christ, and uh, it's a m remarkable story. And uh, just so you'll know, she really does exist. She's going to be in the second service. But Alice and I took her uh, to dinner uh, last night. We were talking, and uh, she's now, uh, again, she is a senior aide to one of our uh, uh, Florida uh, congressmen, and we had some interesting discussions there for sure. Uh, but she told, uh, she told me this. She says, I've never forgotten two things that you told me, two things that you told me. She said, number one, you told me, always guard my mind and always protect my heart. Always guard my mind and always protect uh, my, my heart. And I said, and it's still true today. She says, I've never forgotten it. Do you know what Jesus is saying to us here? He's saying, look, 
I want you to filter all the speculations, the arguments, the opinions, all of these things that come to you in the world that you live in. I want you to take them captive to the truth of Christ. It's important. It's essential to your spiritual life. Why? Because there's a war going on for your mind. Do you know that? There's a war going on for your mind. And whoever or whatever your mind is fixed upon or set upon is going to control your heart and your thoughts and your behavior. In fact, just go over a chapter to chapter 2. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2 here. All right, Paul's dealing with this kind of heresy that we're talking about. He says to to these believers at Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Do you get that? See that no one takes you captive by the philosophies, he's saying, of the age or the uh, empty deceit that's based on human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world but not according to Christ. Don't be taken captive. There's a war for your mind going on. There's a war for your soul going on. Do you remember Peter attempted to rebuke Jesus? Do you remember that part of the story when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be crucified? Do you remember that? And Peter said, no, no, Lord, not you. That's not going to happen. Do you remember that story? How many of you remember that story? How many of you are still awake this morning? You remember that story. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me. What class? Satan. He's saying this to one of his disciples. And then he goes on. We often stop there. Oh, yeah. He said, when Peter said, no, Lord, not not you. That's not going to happen to you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says to Peter, you uh, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. And then he adds, listen. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Are you connecting the dots here? The agenda of your mind will determine whether you live an upward life, a vertical life, or an outward horizontal life. Now, setting your mind, let me just tell you what it's not about. Setting your mind is not about Uh, opening your mind to everything. We're told today that we're we're to keep an open mind about everything, right? By the way, keeping an open mind to everything is what's gotten us in the sorry state that we're in. And we're told today that we're to just keep an open mind about everything, but nothing is further from the truth. You see, a mind opened on everything will let the mind empty itself and fill itself with matters that have no ultimate value. You see, a mind that's open to everything will lead to confusion, won't it? Uh, what's right, what's wrong, it'll, it'll, we'll be confused if a mind is open. You're seeing that playing out today, dear friend. All the years of saying you must tolerate everything, tolerate anything, tolerate everything. And by the way, those who scream the loudest for tolerance are now the ones who are saying, we won't tolerate you. And years of this has finally moved us to a place where 
those who once said you have to tolerate everything are now saying we will not tolerate anything that doesn't agree with what we've already filled the vacuum of an open mind and an open culture and an open society. Don't you believe that an open mind is the solution to humanity's problems? It'll lead to confusion. But not only will it lead to confusion, uh, that confusion will lead to corruption. Uh, Corruption that begins to justify whatever behavior it wants to justify. So confusion will lead to corruption. An open mind will bring eventually confusion. Confusion will lead to corruption. And corruption will lead to compromise. And compromise will cause you to adjust the truth to defend the choices that you decide you want to make. Are y'all with me? And so, and, and so uh, setting your mind is not uh, opening up your mind. But let me tell you what setting your mind is about. It's about guarding your mind in all things. You see, your mind is a battleground. In fact, I would say your mind is ground zero for the assault of the enemy. That's why Paul says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Why, again, Paul uh, uh, said, uh, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You must know that your mind is a battleground that the enemy is going after, and you must set it firmly in truth. Because your life depends on it. So, seeking God requires our minds to be fixed own God, right? The devotion of our mind, the direction of our heart, the devotion of our mind. And last, Paul speaks of the death of yourself. Look at verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you see that word hidden? Circle that word in your Bible if you uh, take notes, because that word denotes protection and security that come to us through our relationship with Christ. We're hidden in Him, and so in Him we have security, we have protection. Now, the devil may accuse you, and by the way, he will, because the Bible labels him as the accuser of the brethren. And he may accuse you, but listen, he cannot get to you without going through the Father and the Son. Why? Because in Christ you are protected and hidden behind Christ. Does that make sense? So you're hidden. So it's like the, it's like the big brother kind of uh, idea that, that to get to you, the bully has to go through the big brother or the father. And so you're hidden in him. So you're protected. You're provided. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. He's going to protect you. And so that's why it's so important. You seek him. And, and, and when you seek him, guess what you're doing? You are hiding yourself behind him. It's about spiritual reality and spiritual identity. Uh, I'm studying, in my personal time with the Lord, I'm studying back through the book of Ephesians. 
And I've started highlighting something as I go back through the book, and I've read through it and preached through it uh, many times over the years, but I'm, I'm highlighting this phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. It's amazing how many times, I don't think I've ever paid attention to it, how many times that phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and Paul is talking about in that letter, he's talking about here that we are in Christ, and because we are in Christ There are certain things that come along with that and that our identity is tied to Christ. The idea is that you've died to yourself so that you could be in him. And it's no longer you living, but Christ living in you. We know that is what Paul taught us in Galatians 2.20. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who who lives in me, and the life I live, listen, in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's what he's talking about in Galatians. It's what he's talking about in Corinthians, that we have to understand that we are to be hidden in Christ. And to do that, we must die to ourself. Now, it's true that you may be theologically in him, but when you live a horizontal or, or a, an outward-focused life, it's as if you are distant relatives, right? Now you're in him, but, but you're living this life instead of this life, seeking the things that are above, setting your mind on things that are above. You're, instead of, you're living this way. So you are in Christ technically because you've been saved, right? But functionally, functionally, it's like you're a distant relative, you have some relatives that, that you know of. You have some relatives you know of, but you know very little about them. You know they exist out here. So, yeah, every once in a while I, have, I get these genealogical kind of notices and say, we found some of your relatives. And, and I'll chase some of that a little bit, say, well, well, who and where? I know a little bit about my lineage and that sort of thing. I'll chase a little bit about, uh, of, of that. But when I chase it, I think, I don't have a clue about who they really are. I can know that they're a relative, but know little about them. I have a lineage with them, but no serious relationship with them. Do you have some of that in your life? You're connected by blood, but you're distanced in your relationship. You're doing your thing, they're doing their thing, but there's rarely, if any, kind of connection relationally between you. Now listen to me, that's the way it is for many believers today. They're related to God by blood, by the blood of Jesus. They're related to God, but they are doing their own thing. And rarely are they connecting with the agenda of God. You know why? Because they're living outwardly instead of upwardly. And so there's a relationship, but there's not much dynamic to it uh, because the difference lies in whether we're living this way or this way. The fact is, seeking God and hearing from God involves dying to ourselves. So we we must stop seeking God through the lens of our own agenda. You see, if you're seeking God 
the statement I opened up with, the, the woman who spoke to the congregation, you know what that is? That's seeking God through my agenda. It's, it's saying, God, here's my agenda. Here's what you want of me, and this is the way I'll try to seek you. And when we do that, there's no real connection so we have to die to ourselves. We have to say, it's not about me, it's about you. We have a song we sometimes sing. Uh, Tim, you know that song well. Uh, uh, I'm, so, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because uh, I've made it all about me, and it's not about me, it's all about you. So to, to seek God and to really hear from God, it involves dying to self, death to yourself. So why should I sell out? Why should I sell out and seek God? Well, go back over to chapter 2 of Colossians. Find verse 3. I'm going to tell you why. Listen, in whom, he's speaking of Christ, which is Christ, you notice the way he ends the previous verse, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So why should you seek him? Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you get that? In Jesus, in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is that hidden? In Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom, all uh, knowledge are hidden in him, in Jesus. And so listen, if I... If all of those things are hidden in Jesus, and I'm hidden in Jesus, then those things become the things that I have access to. His wisdom, His knowledge, His power. You see, there's nothing worth knowing outside of Jesus. There's no wisdom that this world has to offer that can compare with the only true wisdom that is in Jesus Christ. So, Paul says this, he is all, and he is in all. And if I am in him, then I have access to all that's in him. And friend, that's enough reason to direct your heart upward. That's enough reason, friend, to devote your mind to the things of God. And that's enough reason to die to yourself so that you might have the life that is in Him. That's enough reason to set your heart, to fix your mind, and to die to yourself. Have you sought God for who God is instead of for who you want Him to be. Set and seek and die to self. Surrender. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that uh, you've made the way. And Father, you have said in your word that if we seek you with all our heart, we will find you because you want to be found by us. And I pray, Father, for those who are listening by television or live stream, those who are in this live audience, that you will 
calls us to desire you with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength, to, to fix our minds and hearts firmly upon you. Lord, in this shaky world we are living in, it's so important, Father, that we refocus ourselves to knowing you. The source of all truth, the source of all wisdom, the one who is capable of all things, the source of all power, our protection and our provider. And I pray today, Father, for any that do not know you, that they would receive you, they would put their trust in you, that they would become hidden in Christ today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you can do that. If, you, if you've never, you may have just been religious, but you've never truly trusted Christ to become related. You know of him, but you do not really know him. Today you can meet him. You can be hidden in Christ. How do you do that? You're watching us or you're in this live audience. You call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you say something like this in your heart to him, Lord Jesus? I know that I'm a sinner and that I need you. And right now, I call out to you because you've said that if I call on you, you will save me. And so I call on you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Now hide me in you. And one day give me a home with you in heaven. Perhaps you're here this morning or you're watching through television or live stream and in your heart you'd say, I, I, I made that choice long ago to trust Christ as my Savior, but I haven't been seeking Him. Why don't you just tell Him afresh today, God, I recommit myself to be a seeker. I will surrender myself. I will die to myself. I will, I will set my mind on the things above. I will seek you with all my heart. And I will continue that process and continue that process today and tomorrow. And each day when I get up, Father, I will continue that journey of seeking you. Hide me, Father, in your wisdom and in your truth. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you. I know that you hear these prayers. I thank you that you do. And I pray, Father, that right now, this morning, you would give, give us a new sense of power. That you would fall on our lives fresh. You would cause us to seek you as we've never done before. And I pray that, God, not just for those, whoever those are. I pray that for us. I pray that for me. That you would fall on this place and fall on our lives. We pray it in the holy name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation this morning? I'll be here at the front, and we'll have staff on the sides. And I invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor. You come this way. Maybe you want to come and kneel around this altar. It's open for you. Would you take advantage of that? Come and kneel before him. You know, we believe in the power of prayer, and we believe there's something about what the Bible tells us, the posture of prayer. 
that we humble ourselves before Him. And I invite you to come. You're praying for someone. You've got a decision to make. Maybe God has moved in your heart in some way and you want to just talk to Him and kneel before Him. You take advantage of it. You come and use this altar. You may be here this morning and you may have prayed that prayer to put your trust in Christ. Would you slip out and come this way? You say, well, pastor, it's kind of intimidating. I, I understand that. And there are other ways that you can acknowledge him. You can use that tear-off uh, panel on your worship uh, folder and drop it in the offering baskets as you leave. You can do it that way. You can, you can text us the word pastor. You know, you know, all sorts of ways to do it. But I love it when people walk forward and say, this is the decision that I've made. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you've prayed that prayer. Or maybe you're here and say, I need a church home, a church family. And the fact is, we all do. And I want to invite you to come and say, I want to join Ridgecrest. I'm not a member. I'm an attender, but I'm not a member. Why don't you come and connect with us? You say, is it really that important? Yeah, it really is, because then you're identifying with the body of Christ, a local body. So as we begin to sing, would you slip out from wherever you are and you come down, maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe you say, I need to be baptized. Whatever it may be, you slip out, you come on and make that decision. Make it now. Come to the altar. Come on right now. Balcony, ground floors. Brother Tim leads us. You come on.